Hi, I'm Andrew. And I'm Tim. And this is Get On Board, a podcast about games worth playing. Join us every week for great analysis on board games, pick fives, reviews, and all sorts of other entertaining board game talk. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Get On Board podcast. I'm Andrew. And I'm Tim Hange. And we're joined once again by Steven. Hi. Yes. Like the store where everything is always 30% off, we are going to have a permanent temporary guest on here for a while. Back by popular demand. Indeed. A large percentage of our listeners requested. Indeed. Even again. Indeed. Yes. Well, hey, we have a packed episode today because we're going to be looking at some really cool recent plays that we've had. Then we're going to be diving into the Spiel des Jahres, the German Best Game of the Year Award. We've got not one, but two reviews of nominated games for you. So we're going to be taking a look at The Mind and Ganz schon Clever, or Pretty Clever. Two games, one designer. Indeed. Interesting. Bit of a surprise, Wolfgang Warsh. But first, let's talk about recent plays. Let's, well... I recently had a party at my house, a gaming party. Okay. And it was kind of interesting because somebody came over and brought a couple of games, and I was kind of expecting something that I already had in my collection. Sure. Because I have a pretty you big collection. Pretty big collection. And he pulls out two games that not only were not in my collection, but that I had never played before. There you so, go. So I finally got my first play of the so-called, I think, light abstract mm-hmm. Santorini. Well, yeah. maybe... More of a light to midweight abstract. An abstract. <laughs> so, yes. It is an abstract. Although kind of thematic. I mean, I really like building those little buildings, and then the god cards, of course, go with the old, you know, Greek Yes, theme. the ancient Greek tradition so, of standing on the third story of buildings, granting you wealth, prosperity, and victory. In ancient Greece, you did win by getting to the third story of a building. You would know. You're Greek. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, Santorini was an interesting little experience. It was, to me... A game that lived up to its hype. Really? I can see why this game is so popular. Yeah. This game was hot last year. Oh, yeah. Hot, absolutely. Hot, hot. And it's one of those that I think, you know, sometimes when the hotness passes, I've read enough about it or kind of seen enough online to know I'm just not going to be really that interested in sure. this game. But Santorini grabbed me. Sure. I really liked the the fact that it was an accessible puzzle, but still thinky. Yeah. Uh, I really liked sort of this three-dimensional nature to it. It's really, it, it makes it very tactile and very fun to play. Hmm. Um, I liked the the rules were easy to grasp, easy to explain, but there, there was still a game there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's, right. it's I couldn't pull out Tigris and Euphrates with everybody, right? Right, no, I, for sure. But I feel like Santorini is one of those I could pull out kind of like Hive. Mm-hmm. Teach it in five minutes and we can be up and playing. Yeah. Um, even easier than Hive, in fact, in a lot of mm. ways. So, yeah, I could see that. Now, the interesting thing about Santorini is it plays more than two players, should you want yeah. it to. Which I have to ask, was that any even any good? I personally liked it. And in fact, I think one of the reasons I came away with the idea that the God cards were balanced, because that's one of the criticisms this, this game gets. Absolutely. Is that the God cards are not, are not balanced. Their powers aren't equally balanced. But um, both times I won, but. In both games, I did see a play of whoever was ahead was getting bashed on by the other two. Okay. And Hmm. that felt right. It felt like that was part of the balance of the game. Um, Interesting. In fact, with the God cards, I would probably suggest variants. And maybe they are there in the book. I didn't. We just randomly chose them. 
But I would suggest variants like, you know, you choose three, pick one. But I think randomly handed out, you could kind of get gimped with one that just right. isn't particularly good against another right. uh, another similar one. But For it's sure. definitely a game I want to give it more tries yeah. to. So Yeah, I'd be I'd be interested in checking it out. Only only the limited playability of two player abstracts keeps me from getting it. I don't necessarily have a mm. huge audience for those per se. Hive would be the exception, actually. Yeah. So maybe I can make this stick with the guys who play Hive with me, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, what about you? What have you well, had in your recent plays? I have been doing a little bit of solo gaming. So I've been slowly making my way through the Oniverse. For those of you who don't know what that is, that is all of the oh, games in the same universe as Oniram, which is a solo, a very famous solo game designed by okay. Shady Torby. How many games are in this universe? There are five games in this universe. And as of now, a pretty ample number. I've played three of them, and I have one more that just arrived today. Oniram, Sylvian, and Castellion and are the ones that I've played, and I okay. just got Nautilian, and then there's also Urbion. So all five of those are kind of the Oniverse as it stands right now, and then there's a couple promos and expansions. Nautilian, and what's the last one called? Urbion. Urbion. Yes. Okay. So I, I mentioned in our Geekway episode that I had played Castellion. And I liked that one okay. It's a little tile layer, and you're trying to make different combinations of shapes. So that's that's rather fun. But boy, I tried Sylveon, and this is immediately my favorite of the three that I've tried. Blows Oniram away. Hmm. Definitely blows Castellion away. So in Sylveon, what you have is kind of a... You set up a perimeter of forest cards, and you have 12 forest cards. And in the basic game, which is all I played, six of those start flipped over, so they're ravaged, basically. And then on, so picture like a four by four grid of cards. So there's four cards at the top border, four at the bottom border, four at the left border. And then you've got the four slots kind of on the right side. Those are where the fires are going to come in. So the fires are the attackers of the forest. Mm -hmm. So what you're trying to do is defend with this hand of cards that you have. So each turn, there will be four. So the four decks of fire cards will be 12 cards each. And each turn, you'll flip over the next one. And those will start moving to the left across your play space. And if they reach all the way to the other side where you've got tree cards, they're going to ravage more of the forest. Is there any way to actually push the fire back or once it's advanced, it's advanced? There's no way to push it back. There are some other ways to deal with it. But, well, there is one card that lets you move it. So what you're doing here is a dual challenge. You're playing fountains from your hand, which fountains defend at a certain strength and they can take out certain fire cards. So if a fire runs into a fountain, it'll get doused, and that card's resolved. Uh, if they're tied, then they both go away. Mm -hmm. But the other game you're playing is, remember, when a fire card reaches your forest, it's going to ravage more of your forest. So what you also need to do is play forest cards into your play area, which will rejuvenate parts of your ravaged border at the end of the game. So say I've got eight ravaged border cards at the end of the game. I need at least eight restoration from the cards I've played down in the play area in the middle. It's a I'm not I'm not doing a great job explaining it cuz it's kind of hard to envision it visually. But basically you're playing this dual game of both trying to defeat the fires with the fountains but then you also have to play down these vulnerable forest cards which will restore at the end of the game but in the meantime are useless. They're just clogging up a space. So you kind of try to defend those with some strong fountain cards. But then there are cards in the fire deck that buff up all the fires and make them terrifying. So it increases all their value by plus one or it moves them an extra space that turn. So it's this really interesting kind of 
defense game, almost like a tower defense game, mm-hmm. where you're trying to protect your forest against a fire. I loved this thing. And I think the reason I liked it so much is because it has the most mitigation of the three that I've tried, the least random luck. Sure, something really bad happens and the fire gets really strong or something, but you always have options. You can move a card or you can play a card from your hand to just straight up remove one of the fires and it's kind of a woodland animal sacrificing itself. So you have different options to mitigate against the flames. But yeah, that was Sylveon by Shady Torby. I really, really liked this one. So a couple questions really quick before we move on from this. Is the core mechanic of this game like similar to the other ones and just no. sort of like the puzzle on the board is different, like the way you get the cards and everything? See, or are all these games in the universe like completely different? All these games are brand new. They're all different. So, see, Castellion is a tile layer. Oniram is a, is a pattern, you know, shuffler or what have you. Sylveon's really a hand management game and then playing them down at certain places in the board. Nautilion is a dice game. Mm-hmm. So he really kind of tackles different mechanics and puts his own unique spin on them each time he, he puts out a new game. So there's not really a common thread. I mean, they exist sort of in the same universe, yeah. but there's not a common mechanical thread. No, no, they're all mechanically different. That's why wow. they're so popular, I think, because you kind of play out one and then you check out another and it's a whole new challenge, whole new thing that you're doing. Huh. But all the games kind of have a distinct, that world really helps give them a distinct feel. They've got, you know, surreal artwork and it's, it's gorgeous games. I mean, you know, I just love them. There's a question I want to ask you, but this could be a huge topic in and of itself. So sure. maybe we save this for another podcast. We'll just throw it out but there. I would love to know, because you are such a fan of play the player games. Yes. It shocks me that you love games where you play against the brainless AI. Yes. We'll have to have a podcast about that. Yeah, that's we'll a whole. Have have that's a that. whole. Write that down because right you're right. There. That is that is an interesting facet. I'll do better than write it me. down. I'll record it on audio. There you go. Then when we listen to our own podcast in the we'll future, we can remember. Well, Stephen, have you had any recent plays? Um, I did recently play Merchants and Marauders again. On um, fourth or fifth time for me. That's a lot of plays for a long game, though. It is. Yeah. Um, each time I've. Except for a couple, I've been teaching people um, mm-hmm. the game. So I've got a lot of teaching time in. I don't believe I've lost yet. You won the last two? That You've won the only two games I've played. I did lose one. I did lose one. You lost to Evan when we played. Yes. Yeah. But um, I'd say it's a pretty good track record. About 80% for me. There you um, go. So, but it's purely luck. It had nothing to do with the decision. Well, that's made. an interesting question. I'm messing with you, man. Is it purely <laughs> luck, or am I abusing some of the mechanics that are uh, not as balanced? Um, for example, so in Merchants and Marauders, you can get glory points to win the game through many different varieties of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, one way that you can get glory points is by upgrading your ship. I have never done this myself. Hmm. And when I play, it seems like everyone else is trying to include that mechanic. Um, and in order to upgrade your ship, you have to spend 35 gold. If you banked that same amount of gold, you would get three and you're halfway to your fourth glory point towards the end of the game. Right. Um, big ships do help you get more glory points through other ways. But um, I stay with my original ship, which doesn't have very many disadvantages um, if you just go for a trading route or taking mm-hmm. out some of the merchant ships, both of which get you glory points if you play it correctly. Yeah. So I wonder, I'm beginning to wonder 
if the game tried to include too many mechanics um, and sacrificed some of the balance. Um, I'd love to see what happens if we tinker with the game a little bit and mm. make buying ships worth more glory points. But do you think we need to tinker with the game, or do you think we need to tinker with the way we're playing it? Because I was going to say Evan and I mm. were not attacking, like we were not attacking each other very much at all. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the game, when uh, there was some desperation there, uh, that's you know we realized, oh, he's way too far ahead. That's when we were attacking. But it seems like we should be attacking each other earlier on. That's an interesting idea. And I also wonder if player count is a problem here. Like, I mm. wonder if that's a game that's meant to be four and four. five players yeah. on the board so that everything Crowd is the board. super tight yeah. and super crowded. Because the I board doesn't, doesn't get smaller for two or three players. Right. They, they didn't scale that universe well, right. I don't yeah. think. Right. So. Honestly, if there's one thing that bugs me, it's the bank 10 gold for one glory point. That just seems cheap. Yeah. And but, if, you know, when you I can get five or six points a, that way. I suppose it does add a time limit to the game. Kind yeah, of like that's Monopoly true. goes on forever. Right. You, oh, yeah. but see, with that, with a game like that, I wouldn't mind if it went on forever. I love that game. <laughs> it's a dice chucker. Yep. But it's it's a good one. It's a good dice. There are good dice chuckers. I, I like that one. The fact, Stephen, that you've won, you've had such a high win ratio, really kind of takes the wind out of the sails of any argument. That uh, it's a purely luck-based game. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really you do have to make good choices, mm-hmm. and it's it's true that they could not pan out. But you roll the dice a lot in that game, and so the odds are that you will some of your your plans will come together. And it also is one that if your plans aren't coming together and you're in last place, there's not there's a lot less motivation for people to go after you. They're going to go right. after the people who are more yeah. who have a greater chance of winning. So. Well, another game in my recent plays, uh, Evan and I pulled out uh, huh, a game that requires some investment, I think, to to really enjoy, but mm-hmm. Legends of the Five Rings, the revised version, yes, I'm old enough to remember, and to have played the original game uh, way back in the day. I think I was in the Pearl set, if anybody remembers that. Um, the... The L5R, it's been so long since I played the original L5R, I really couldn't compare the rules too closely to mm. the new one. Mm. I, I just don't, re- I wouldn't remember them, but I really do like this L5R. What's fascinating about L5R to me is the combat phase uh, in which your guy goes up against other people, but they don't kill each other. Like, if you beat a guy in combat, you get the objective that you chose before the combat and you mm-hmm. get to choose one of the available objectives. And so you're mm-hmm. either going to get like an honor point or you're going to be able to take a fate token off of one of his people or that kind of thing. And so it's really interesting because you choose the victory condition based upon, you know, that outcome you want to happen, but you're beating that other player in the combat. He doesn't take any, so you wounds. don't kill the guy. Yeah. He just sits out huh. there. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, it's, it just it just adds a it's just a completely different kind of game. I yeah. mean, I've I've never played a game that that does that uh, yeah. exactly. And and yes, the goal is I mean, you are attacking a province, and guys are brought up to sort of protect the province. And mm. if you're able to sort of overwhelm the province, you know, you'll kick it off and you kill three provinces, and you can, you can go after the main province and 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 try to win the game, or you can win the game by getting twenty five honor points, or you can win the game by uh, milling your opponent out of their honor points, which is how I won the last game against my son Evan, who's sitting on the couch over there, and 
growling at me right now. now. <laughs> so yeah, I just really enjoy this game. Evan's already uh, we've uh, Evan's already customized his first deck, the Dragon Clan. Is that what you're doing? And I'm um I'm doing um uh, Lion Clan for my first customized uh, deck. So lions are always a good choice. Oh, yeah. House of Trades. Very cool. You got another one? Yeah, I, I actually have so many. I'm going to try to sneak in two right now and in, right. in one thing. So so hold the comments. But they're short. So the first one I tried was Falling Coin, which is a Japanese activity, more so than a game. But this is one of the nano games to come out of Japan in the last couple of years. Picked it up at Geekway. Basically, you have one card that's a coin card. And it's divided into four quadrants, blue, pink, green, and orange. And all you're doing is drawing the next card off the deck, which will be double-sided. It'll be one color on one side and one on the other. And then there's a little parachute on the lower third of the card. And what you have to do is stick that card underneath the coin card, matching the color, so matching whatever color it is, and making sure the parachute is fully visible. Rinse and repeat. Go around the table. Hmm. You keep sticking cards under till you have, till you're holding like 12 cards with one card. And it's this really odd challenge. And here's the thing. So the game rules say to play this competitively. And when the stack falls, the last two people who played lose. I think that sounds stupid. We have always played this game cooperatively, just trying to get all the cards in the stack. It's a reverse Jenga with cards. Yes. It's, wow. It's great. I mean, <laughs> I just told you the entire game, and we play it cooperatively, so usually two-player, but we try to get all the cards in the stack under the coin. And we've come within one before, so I'm confident it's doable. Wow. But, yeah, we just really took it. You can play it in five minutes. You know, we were waiting for, for one guy to come, so we just picked it up. Hey, you know, let's try this. And I've probably played it six or seven times in the last two weeks. But, yeah, super fun. That's Falling Coin. The other one I got to the table, or, well, I got it to the floor, actually, because my wife wanted to play it on our rug. But it's called Circle the Wagons. So there was this is by Button Shy Games. There was a Kickstarter for this a while ago. This is also an 18-card game. And it has kind of a similar mechanic to King Domino where you're trying to take cards, uh, what, tiles in King Domino, cards in this case, and then play them into your boomtown and make big groups of the five different land types. So I think there's like pasture, mountain, mine, ocean, snow. So you've got all these different land types and you're trying to build a boomtown. And the way you pick these cards is interesting. There's a circle kind of like patchwork and you can take the next card for free, the next card in the line, or you can skip over as many cards as you want, but as all of the ones that you skip over will be given to your opponent. So that can either, you can either unintentionally help your opponent or intentionally screw your opponent, depending on how crafty you are. But here's what makes this game really interesting. It's an 18 card game, but you only play with 15 of the land cards because on the opposite side of all the land cards is a scoring condition. Mm -hmm. So there will always be three unique scoring conditions and then 15 land cards that you'll build into your boomtown. And the scoring conditions work off of the icons that are on top of these different land types. So there's like cows and whiskey bottles and pickaxes and houses and stuff. And it'll say something like whenever you have your, uh, you know, whenever your mine is completely surrounded by cows or something, you get an extra point. Or, you know, all of your cows that are not in the snow will score you a certain number of points. Or the opponent who has the most beer bottles in their town will lose points equal to the player who has the least. So it's like 18 different scoring conditions that you just randomly draw three. So this game with 18 cards has more replayability than King Domino. 
for oh, me at least. How long how long a game is it? Oh, it's like ten minutes. It's two player only. So that's I really the main. I like knock. this little mechanic. But I'm I'm just talking on this mechanic. I'm trying to think of games that have done this. I think Aura at Labora has something similar. I haven't played it yet, but it's mm-hmm. in my collection to play. Uh, where you you like what you skip goes to your opponent. Yes, that's a really interesting it is, idea. It's really cool. Yeah, and man, I played this with Alicia, and she was skeptical. But by the end, you know, she was skipping cards, sticking me with lots of beer. We had that you know, scoring condition, she beat me. So she enjoyed the game. I really enjoyed the game. I'm looking forward to playing it more. That's Circle the Wagons by mm-hmm. Button Shy Games. Very cool. If I could interject with one more game I played recently. Yeah. Aeon's End. Ah. Um, played it a few months ago, and we lost miserably. Um, for those of you that don't know, it's a deck-building boss fight cooperative. Mm-hmm. Um we were not even close to taking the boss a quarter of the way down. And um, that was, uh, I just love a good losing game. I love when <laughs> I play, fail miserably, but I want to get back at it. Um, so I played it again um, not too long ago with the same people, my father and my brother. And this time we played with the correct rules. Um, basically, when it came to deck building, we were shuffling the deck each time we went, had to um, had to redraw it, and that um, was a huge disadvantage because you didn't know what cards you were coming next. You couldn't arrange the cards the way you wanted them, and then um, uh, on the boss fight end, we were giving the boss way more power than he was supposed to have. He was right. unleashing each attack two or three times when he was supposed to be able to do it once, <laughs> um, and so this time. We came and we swept it easily. And I got to say, that was kind of disappointing. Hmm. I I hate a losing yeah. game that can, you suddenly is no challenge. Can you change up the uh, winning conditions on it? Uh, there are actually different bosses that you can fight. Okay. And um, we played with one of the pre-made decks nice. that uh, of cards that you can build your deck from. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're supposed to play, or one way that you can play it is randomly. Huh. Um, it's a random collection of cards, which like a random market, out there. right? So yeah. sometimes it'll be easier, sometimes it'll be harder. So right. I'm looking gotcha. forward to playing and losing again. Again, I yeah. want to try very hard to avoid an easy victory like that. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't told you this, but I've played it with three groups of people now on that first boss since we played a, a few months back, uh-huh. and we've won every time, and we won it very handily. Mm. And I'm I'm having that same concern. Yeah, was, ready to move on. To was the this next the boss that I tried to? The guy yeah. with the horns. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we won pretty easily too, and it wasn't thanks to me. I was terrible. But what I really like about this game, for those interested in sort of a boss fight game, uh, I I uh, no secret to anyone that knows me, I'm a big fan of Sentinels of the Multiverse. Hmm. Uh, this game is not does not have the bookkeeping overhead of Sentinels at right. all. Uh, so that's one thing this game does better. The other thing it does is it's it's a true deck builder. I mean, Sentinels is not a deck builder. Um, but the the other thing that this game does really well, I guess Sentinels has this too, but in deck building games, I've not seen this, where each player has a like a really unique power, and you've got to be playing to that power if you're going to win the game. Hmm. Although, I didn't use my power once when we won very handily as you said yeah so maybe if the challenge was right yeah, maybe the boss is too easy the, the gravehold healer was that's a true. huge that's advantage true. so yep hmm. my last one that i'll bring up on recent plays is another one that 
the friend who brought over Santorini uh, brought, which is a game called Archer. Archer is a love letter game. Oh, boy. It's set in the Archer universe. Does anybody know what that is? Apparently some people do. It's some kind of animated uh, uh, TV series, I guess. I've heard of it, but never watched um, it. Have you not seen Archer? I have not seen Archer. Oh, yeah. I feel like the big man in the room you, here. You Steven is our cultural touchstone, so, ladies and gentlemen. This is why we keep him around. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, let me tell you, for those who've played Love Letter and maybe have had it fall a little bit short for you, I'll tell you this, that Archer fixes a lot of what I don't like about Love Letter. Hmm. So, And I like Love Letter well enough. I mean, to You play, like it more than I did. To play every now and then. Yeah. But what I like about Archer is that it does some interesting things with, it adds some mechanics that I think just make the game a whole lot more interesting. And they all center around the hidden card on the table. So, yeah, so the seven in this game is Lana Kane. And what she does is you play Lana Kane, and then you collect all of the cards from the other players and the secret card on the table, shuffle them together, redistribute them, and redeal the secret card. So it kind of like throws an interesting little twist in things. Isn't that just pure randomness, though? Yeah, but it kind of resets things for that weird... You know... I mean, I I watched it happen... I watched it happen for you guys on the very last turn of the game. So to me, that was, we've played for 15 minutes, and now we shuffle to decide who the winner is. It isn't love letter randomness anyway. I I mean, this this at least, you know, I don't know, adds some variety, gives you a chance, because when you you have to discard the Countess, that's a real bummer. Yeah, I I guess so. Uh, it kind of mitigates some of that, I think. And then I feel like it's a real rush. We have very different opinions about Love Letter. (laughs) I've only played twice, so I'm the least qualified here. (laughs) So I'll give you the other two cards that are interesting to me. Number six is Ray Gillette, who swaps with a hidden card, Mm. which is kind of cool. So Mm. you can uh, force another player to swap their card with a hidden card. How do you know what that card is? Well, number four, which is the handmaid, I think, in, in Love Letter, in, Kansas City in this game is uh, Patricia, uh, or what's her name? I forget her name. But anyway, uh, no, that's not, I'm thinking of the wrong person. Anyway, but what no, the number four card does is it either gives you the protection or you can look at the hidden card. Hmm. So you can kind of combo, which is really interesting, especially if you've got Ray Gillette in your hand. And you suspect somebody else to have the the princess, not the princess, but the number eight card in this game. You can actually sort of, look at that hidden card and then on your next turn force that player to swap with a hidden card hmm. which is really cool so Interesting. I, I actually felt like in the end i had a little more control sure. uh, than i did in love letter my only comment about this game is look you've got to like that comic and you've got to be okay with the level of uh, rated m that that comic is because the cards include you know flavor text about prostitutes and sniffing glue and things like that, which is going to frankly keep me from buying the game. I'm not comfortable pulling a game like that out uh, in in front of a crowd. So yeah, hard pass. Unfortunate for me, but um, yeah, I'll I'll have to pass on it. But the game was the game itself. The mechanics are pretty interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Well, Hey, uh, not to rush us in terms of time, but I do want to cram in one more recent play that, that you and I played Tim. Oh, really? Barons. The, oh, you're gonna bring that one the up. The huh? odd card game by Cambridge Games Factory, makers of the infamous Glory to Rome, which is my number one game. Is it on your top ten? I don't think it is, but no, it is no, on your no, top it wasn't ten. On my top yeah, yeah, 10. yeah. So on both our top tens, and this is another game they produced before they 
sadly went bankrupt. And I've heard a couple people say, you know, this game is different than Glory to Rome, but it's got some of that same magic. So I picked it up at Geekway and we gave it a try. So what do you think of this one? Yeah, so it's Glory to Rome with sort of a, yes, in Glory to Rome you build buildings, but sort of the position of the buildings doesn't matter. In this, right. in this case, it really does because right. you, you build these sort of lands and buildings and then you get the harvest from them and then the buildings sort of, have different powers and mm-hmm. there are knights that you can build to knock out other players knights and other players buildings and then somebody builds a church and a cathedral and they win the game so it has it has the multi-use card element of glory to rome it doesn't have a lead and follow mechanic Mm-mm. it feels to me when we played it it feels like the kind of game that was built as a stepping stone toward glory to rome mm. But I'm worried that I'm just not that interested in playing it again. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you and I are already looking up rule variants to it, trying to make it yeah. work, is not a good sign. Yeah. I found the taxing mechanic very tedious. So basically, to redraw cards into your hand, you have to tax one of the four colors of your barony. But at the start of the game, you know, you only have one card in each of those four colors. So you tax and you get to draw one card of that color, and maybe it's the color you need. Uh, I see that there's depth here. You know, each of the four decks are different, kind of like Magic the Gathering. You have four different uh, powers or abilities, I guess. You have the red, blue, green, and yellow decks, and they the all... lands, right? Yeah, they all yeah. do different things. So yellow is action-heavy, green is building-heavy, blue is, I think, uh, flexibility and cooperation or something, they said. But uh, the end result was the gameplay just wasn't interesting enough for me to want to unlock any of those differences in in different decks. I don't know. I'm going to try it again because I think we played it at a poor play count. We played it at two. I think it would be better at four. I think it's a more interactive game by its nature, you know, with the knights and the instant win condition. But I agree. I was was a little bit bummed by this one. This game is not in print, but it's incredibly readily available, which maybe says something... It doesn't yeah. always, it's not always a sign of a bad game, but I don't know. In this case, the game does feel a little bit half-baked to me. Hey, you know what they say, you can't make a hidden gem without breaking a few omelets, or something like that. Okay, well, let's get to Are the main ready? event. Yeah, the main event, the spiel, the Kenner spiel nominees, is that what these two things yeah. are? You follow, the, you follow this part more closely. Yes, one is a spiel nominee, so the mind is nominated for Spiel des Jahres, which is the German game of the year. So there are three nominees, and one will be crowned the game of the year. Mm-hmm. And then Ganz Schon Clever is nominated for the Kenner Spiel des Jahres, which means uh, the heavier or more gamer game weight. So there are also three games nominated for Kennerspiel, and Gonshun Clever is one of those. And the interesting thing is both of these are designed by the same guy, Wolfgang Worsch, who until 2018 had designed one game in 2015, and now he has come out with four games, and three of them are nominated for the Spiel or Kennerspiel. Oh my goodness, that is like, I want a baseball player with that batting average for right? the Royals, man. I <laughs> right? mean, I want, that is amazing. Yeah. One thing I do know is I have sure enjoyed playing his games. I have very much too. Let's uh, let's begin with the mind. Let's talk okay. about the mind. Let's talk about the mind. You probably, if you are listening to a board gaming podcast, you probably don't need an introduction to this game. This game is the hottest game of the year so far. The mind is like, 
for those my age who remember the game Racco growing up, mm. it's like cooperative Racco. Oh, don't say that. You're going to scare people <laughs> off. No, but it is a very, very simple premise. The game begins where everybody is handed a card. Right. And you're not allowed to speak to the other players or indicate to the other players anything about the value of your card. The you card just, is numbered 1 through 100. Yep. Cards are numbered 1 through 100. Yep. And you just, the three of you have to play them in order. And so yep. you're just kind of looking at each other going, um, hmm. Hey, maybe my 15 is the lowest card. Right. So you toss it out. And right. then the other two with, you know, a 45 and a 51 are staring at each other going, is it you? And then, and so that's, that's, that sounds ridiculously simple. It is. It also sounds ridiculously boring, which it isn't. It isn't at all. It, it, it makes for such tension around the table. Absolutely. I'm just shocked at what a simple premise this game has. And how much tension it creates. Yes. Here's how the publisher describes it. The mind is more than just a game. It's an experiment. A journey. A team experience in which you can't exchange information, yet will all become one to defeat all the levels of the game. Mm. I really like that. Mm, It's really concise. And it really captures why I love this game. Is this the most amazing mechanic we've ever seen since Slice Dominion? No. It's not. It's it's novel, yes, and it's clever, but it's really about the other players around the table. They are the ones that bring the crackle and the spirit to this game. I just, man, I just love that. What a simple framework for fun memories. Yes, and by the way, I, I feel like we've we've eagerly gone on, and there's nothing wrong with it. We're really eager to talk okay. about what we love about this game. Sure. Let's switch back to the mechanic for a little bit. Okay. Yeah. For, yeah. For yeah. Listeners Let's finish don't. explaining so, it. Yeah. We we began with everybody gets dealt one card, and then everybody gets dealt two cards, and so now you have to do this activity with two cards in your hand, and it goes up to how many rounds? Because we've never gotten past what five. It or depends six on the player count. So right. with two players, you're going to have to finish twelve rounds, which means you'll each have twelve cards in your hand at the at the final level. Mm-hmm. With four players, it's eight levels. And with three players, it's 10 levels. And you get a limited number of misses. So a miss is when somebody plays a card on the table and you happen to have a lower one in your hand. Then it's like, ah. So you show the card in your hand and you um, then take one of your misses. And once those are all consumed, the game is over. You also have some of these throwing stars, which are used to knock out the lowest card out of each player's hand, which is right. really handy when everybody's sort of stalled and you suspect that the reason why we're stalled is we've all got cards that are in the same range. In the same range. Yeah. Uh, there's one more interesting mechanic in the game, and that is that at any time in the game, a player can put their hand out in the middle. Everything has to stop. All players put their hand in the middle and slowly draw their hands back. Right. And that's very interesting to me because it communicates something. Somebody's saying, we need to slow this down. We need to think. We need to feel. We There's something here that... And so whatever that means in your group kind of becomes significant in your group. And right. now I feel like we're getting to the magic of the game, but it's okay right. now. Is, well, is that, that's the all the thing. mechanics, right? Yeah. Okay, here's good, the thing. Good. At first glance, this seems too simple to even be a game. Mm-hmm. Right. I've had two reactions when I've introduced it. One is, that's it. Play the cards in order. Mm-hmm. that's easy and this is the analytical people who say well clearly you just need to count the number of seconds as the value of your card and then play it at the right time and then you will all be perfectly in sync and have a perfectly boring I don't care 
No one actually does that. If you do, you have no soul. But uh, so that's the one reaction I get that it's just too easy, that it's just a counting game in your head. Right. The other reaction I get is this is way too hard. This is too random. You just kind of guess and you just kind of chuck a card down when you feel like it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of get both those reactions when I introduce the game. But then after we've played it, people say, ah, I get it. It's it's the hesitation. It's the unspoken language. It's the eye contact between the different Mm -hmm. players. It's all about communicating, which seems really paradoxical, but that's that's what this game boils down to is communicating with the other players around the table. I had my first uh, playthrough of it today. I played it a few times and definitely after the first play, I thought, well, once I get better communicating, this mm-hmm. game is going to become perilously simple. Mm-hmm. I'll be able to understand different like hand gestures. So mm-hmm. if I'm holding my card up, that means I'm, I'm ready to play next. If I'm putting right. my card down, I have a high number. Don't worry about it. Right. But... It's not that simple. You, you you really get in your own and each other's head mm-hmm. in a way that makes it, I think, so far very replayable. And about what you said about um, the analytical people counting mm-hmm. the seconds um, and how that ruins the game. You were it doing does. it. <laughs> I did it. Yeah. But what I don't what I noticed was that you um, it becomes an exercise in the relativity of time because. The, for the person who's holding, if if a if the eight card has been played out there, the person who's holding the card seventeen has a big decision to make. There are nine cards that could be between him and the card that's played, but he's he's thinking there there's got to be a huge decision. For me, who's sitting with my card that's ninety, I'm not worried at all. Mm-hmm. Five seconds for me is going to be much closer to what five seconds actually is. But for the person with the 17, if he's trying to count the seconds, mm-hmm. it's going to feel like an eternity for him. Yep. Yeah. And he's not going to have that patience, maybe. Yep. And so... That's the thing. Humans are not robots. That's why this game works. Mm-hmm. You're you're absolutely right. Listening to Andrew's experiences, I'd love... I, I want to hear... I want you to tell Tell me you're going to tell the story about your play group. I will. And how it played down. I will. But I want to kind of preface this with something that might seem a little bit heady. But I think this is what this game taps into. We've seen some major reviewers in the profession right now sort of poop on this game, saying it's just a simple, quick exercise. There's mm-hmm. there's nothing much to it. Look, this game taps into something very, very interesting. It's actually found in a book by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink. Okay. And it has to do with how we make decisions based on intuition. Hmm. Like in the book Blink, there's an example given where this pro tennis player can tell when when a serve is going to be fault hmm. before the racket even hits the ball. And on pro players, the difference is so tiny, so minimal. And he's asked, he watches videos over and over of games he's never of matches he's never seen before. And he can just through intuition, just there's something about it hmm. that he looks at and he knows wow. this one's gonna fault. Even sometimes before the guy even raises the racket, he just knows. Hmm. And this is what happens in this game is you sort of get good at reading each other yes. without really understanding what the cues are. Right. That's weird. And I've already experienced it's it today. Awesome. <laughs> when it's like I play it and I just know my next one's 10 away, but I'm not supposed to play it right yes. now because you're going to swoop in with one. Yes. And I can't mm-hmm. explain why. I just know it. And you do. Yeah. And it's really fascinating. And when you get that little click, you just feel kind of, I mean, it's almost, I'm not trying to make this too religious, but I mean, you, you sort of feel like, 
I don't know, you just tapped into something with your group that was yeah. really like weird and yeah it's just so cool when you go to play that one you just know andrew's gonna click in with the next one and he mm-hmm. does and you just feel like yeah we totally mm-hmm. read that right yes that yes. is the feeling and you you have to play this game with the same group i think at least a couple times at, at least several yeah. times yeah. to start feeling that click i agree and it doesn't mean it'll always work for you but i could see where this game played with the same group of people 10 15 20 times you're gonna win it we have right. yet to win it we've gotten closer and closer every yeah. time yeah we're getting better Okay, so let me tell you a story. I played this just Saturday with three other good friends. I, I really do think this game is, is the very best with good friends. So if you have some of those, play it with them. But Steven, Josh, and Nathan were over. Steven and Josh, different Steven. Sorry, Steven. No uh, relation. But I did play it with you as well. Um, <laughs> so Steven and Josh had already played before. Nathan was new. So we had to get through eight levels, four player. Nathan kind of figured it out pretty quickly. And then he was grinning at the end of level three. We successfully dropped down an 88, a 91, and a 93. Three different players. And we just, and we just did it. And Nathan was like, oh, this is really cool. It really did feel like magic. It felt like we were psychically in tune. We were just flowing through this game. We got through levels, you know, 30, 45 seconds. We were just zooming. We were rarely making mistakes. By level six, we still had two lives left. So we had 24 cards total quarter of the deck we played a few cards and then i raised my hand for a shuriken to get rid of everyone's lowest these cards i'm not lying i wrote down the exact numbers 55 32 33 and 34 wow Wow. and we had discarded that everyone was freaking out at how we dodged that bullet so now we've got maybe 17 cards left in hand yeah we got about a dozen cards out in 20 seconds wow we were just we just knew you just felt it you just felt the freedom to just drop one on there Mm -hmm. and then we leapt to our feet when we we hadn't even won the game this isn't just level six we had two levels to go and we ended up dying on level seven right but it felt like we'd won the lottery man talk about group camaraderie this had it and then so then the very next day steven and josh were over again and we said man we got to try the mind again so we tried it i got the craziest hand i've ever had I got a one, I got an eight and a nine, I got a 17, 18, 19, oh. and I got a 99. Wow. wow. <laughs> so, a couple things happened in this level. First of all, I drop my one down as quickly as I can as Josh throws down his two. My one card, which I threw at kind of a lower arc, slides under his two card, which is coming down from a higher arc. His two card lands... I drop down my eight, I drop down my nine, Steven drops down like a 15, and then I just go 17, 18, 19. And we had to stop just because we were overwhelmed at how amazing that had been, at how well it had worked out. And then we did another shuriken, and I discard my 99, and we just crack up. Because here I am, the full gamut, you know, five cards below 20, and then I'm sitting on the 99 at the very top end. Yeah. But, folks... These are the types of stories this game will give you, like the feeling of satisfaction and camaraderie that you get when you execute one of these moves is really magical. It's really unique. Mm-hmm. I don't know of another co-op game that uses this skill. I, I just can't think of one. I, I, was, I was just thinking of this, like the only game that I can think of where I've seen people with this kind of intuition against randomness is mm-hmm. Texas Hold'em, watching mm-hmm. the tournaments. And I'm going to shout out to Dan Negron, and no, I'm not getting paid mm-hmm. by anybody to to promote him 
this guy can read other players. And there will be times he'll fold a good hand. And he's like, I just I feel like you got you're you're sitting on pocket aces. I just huh. feel it. And the guy has it, you know. And it's just sort of <laughs> like, ah, he throws it down. How could you know that? But you know, but he but he but he is, you know. And that's but. I've never seen that kind of intuition sort of pulled out of players mm-hmm. in a co-op game. Yeah, this this is where else. where there's hidden information from the other player. The rules prevent you, and we weren't cheating. Nobody's cheating in right. this game. Right. And I don't know. I actually feel like even the compulsion to cheat is less than Hanabi. Mm-hmm. Hanabi doesn't even do this because what Hanabi relies on is the, the Hanabi distracts you from this experience by giving you giving the other player concrete the information hints, and so yeah. they're too busy focusing on the concrete information to get this kind of magic happening yes yes um, it's not to say hanabi's a bad game right but this does something really unique and i despite all that though get on board doesn't recommend this game oh my god i'm just you kidding get out of town right now <laughs> But we should, okay, but we should talk down our hype a little bit because yeah. here we are, just another podcast telling you this is the best thing since sliced bread. This has been huge since the Gathering of Friends. Several people played it at the Gathering of Friends a couple months ago. Shut up and sit down, started talking about it. Secret Cabal talked about it. You know, all these podcasts that I listen to start talking about it. Mm-hmm. So here we are telling you yet again, the mind is good, that you should go play it. Do we have any caveats to that? Okay. I'm, I'm I'm searching for some negative things to say about this game. I had this initial concern, mm-hmm. and despite the fact that my, all ninety nine percent of my concerns about the game turn around, I'll say this: I don't think this is a game that you will like play heavily, very long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's a game that will continue to be in heavy rotation until you beat it the first time, and after that, it'll drop off significantly. Yes, uh huh. Yeah. Which for me, man, I just clocked my 19th play of this we have yet to win it right right. so i mean here we go granted i've played that with a bunch of different groups i think if i got those guys together again we could probably win it with some concerted effort but the challenge still is there and it's still elusive if you compare it to other filler games on the standpoint from the standpoint of replayability and longevity i think games like skull will always beat it because it's fresh and different every time Mm -hmm. people are bluffing in different ways and then Mm -hmm. double bluffing and triple bluffing and so it's sort of um, you know, it doesn't have, I, it's a gimmick, right. but it's a really good gimmick that's going to hold your attention for quite a while. Yeah. And I, I think even more than that, I think even once you beat it, I think a year from now, you'll probably break it back out of your collection. Mm-hmm. But for goodness sakes, what is like the cost to fun it's ratio like, of this game? This game oh my like gosh. Yeah. 12 bucks, 13 yeah. bucks. I got mine from Amazon DE, I think for 14 shipped. Yeah, it's it's gonna be out from Pandasaurus in July. Yeah, um, buy it. Just oh, buy it. Yeah. Just try it. The one thing that I will say about it, and this is not even the fault of the game, but if you play this with the wrong group, if you play this with maybe hardcore gamers who want a yeah. delicious mechanic, or people who are tired and don't have that energy to kind of invest in reading the other people, or sarcastic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it it can fall flat. But I mean, that's not really a knock against the game. It, it's maybe it maybe makes its appeal more circumstantial. Mm-hmm. I tried to play this on a camping trip with uh my good friend Steven and both our wives and both our wives were really tired and they had been they'd been swimming in the river earlier and so they were just kind of oh whatever, you know. And it fell flat, you know. Yeah. Okay. But that's not the game's fault. You know, yeah. th- those experiences are still within the right. game good or bad you can unlock them and yeah 
I have fallen head over heels for this game. I think I will end up ranking this a 10. That's mm. how much I love this game. I even if even if I don't continue playing it as heavily as I have been, which I won't, you know, it has provided me so much fun, so many memories already yeah. in a month. So I, I heartily recommend The Mind. You should definitely pick it up. I would agree. We're in agreement on that. There we go. Our next one by Wolfgang Warsh is, I'm going to mess this one up, Ganshan Clever. Ganshan Clever. I guess Ganshan in German means very I think it's actually a, the whole thing is kind of like a phrase or an expression that is used in German. Ganshan clever, I guess, roughly translates to, oh, yeah, that's pretty clever, but I think it's like an expression or a turn of phrase. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not German. but And this is a game that I am super excited about. Now, <laughs> what is interesting, well, let's talk about what Ganshan clever is. Ganshan clever is a roll and write game that I like. Of which there are thousands it seems these oh days. yeah but it's and the vast majority i you know that I, I i don't like at all and in fact what's really interesting is that I've, I've played i think a game that tried a similar thing called quicks uh mm-hmm. about three weeks before this game and just that game just utterly infuriated me so when you brought over a gunshot clever i was it was a tough sell it for was you. a tough sell for me i'd already been quicksed out and, you know, you said this is the game Quicks should be. I played it, and wow, it is. Uh, so in Ganshan Clever, you roll, and then you choose the categories to assign your dice. And there's like a, a yellow box that builds points in a certain way and triggers bonuses in a certain way, and another blue box that does it differently. And then there are three tracks, this green track and this red track and this purple track. So, like, to give you an example of, like, what you might do like the purple track scores the 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 face value of the dice that you've assigned to it right so but uh you have to play dice higher in consecutive order so if your first one is a one your second one has to be higher than a one well it starts getting difficult when you're when you have a five Five. on that track yeah you you can only play a six but once you play six you can reset back down play anything and then you, you'll get to score on that track. So here's the thing. For, for people who are thinking, I hate games like this, games like Yahtzee, where you end up rolling junk and you're not able to place it, and your opponent doesn't roll junk that turn, and he wins. Look, this game doesn't do that. You'll never fill up the whole board because there's no way to fill up the whole board. Right. This is a dice game combined with a Steffenfeld point salad, oh boy. which you don't like, and I do. I knew you were going to bring up this comparison. I, I do. I because what it does, it's it's necessary to mitigate the dice rolls to mm-hmm. give you a lot of options in terms of how to play it. Yeah. Can you still get screwed by the dice? Of course you can, especially right. toward the end of the game when you're only going for certain things. But there are ways to build it so that you're less limited at the end of the game. And so to some degree, that's your fault. Right. And you take ownership and responsibility for it. Well, what's cool about this game, and we won't really go through all five of the tracks, just suffice it to say, they all kind of score differently, but they'll all net you roughly around 60 points if you filled them out completely, mm-hmm. I think would be the average of the five. You know, you'd get 60 points for a, something that you filled out completely. Right. And an average winning score is going to be, you know, high 100s to low 200s. I think the best score amongst us has been 243, 237, 240. Those are some of the mm-hmm. better scores we've had. 
So what that means is that 60 points from one region is great, but you're going to have to be in all the regions, right. especially because there's these little foxes which will score you basically your worst category again. So for each fox you cover up, you will score your worst category again. So it's kind of in your best interest to kind of spread around and be everywhere, have 20-some points even in your worst category. So if you roll over a fox, you know, that's 20 extra points and not 7 points. Right. So I, I really enjoy that. The other thing that Ganshan Clever has that's, well, pretty clever is these little bonus rollovers. Yeah. Which, basically, as you fill in spaces, you'll get some sort of perk. Maybe you'll get a re-roll, which you can bank and use when you need. Or you'll even get an extra die action, which is a hugely powerful bonus. Or you'll cover over a mark, which will let you make a mark in another color, and maybe completing that will let you make a mark in a third color. And you kind of just do this pinball bounce around with all these bonuses. I really like that. It's really satisfying when, from one die placement, I can knock off four or five boxes all over the board. That's really fun. Something that um, I really love to think about when I was playing this game for the first time today um was that toward towards the beginning of the game when um you roll for for example like an orange four that'll just score you four points and no big deal really um but towards the end of the game a single roll can score you dozens of points right and if you think about it like the the, there's nothing more important about the role. There's nothing different about the role at the end of the game than at the beginning. It's just the points escalate. And so if you think about it too much, you're going to get paralyzed by this game because there's right. so much to do. Right. But then again, it's just so fun at the end yeah. when you didn't roll exactly what you wanted, but you'll still get a dozen points right. for it. It's a nice little rush when your planning fits together the way you plan for it too also. Mm-hmm. So here's how I would sell this game. Do you have friends that aren't into your heavy games? Like, they, you have some friends come over, they want to play something simple. Mm-hmm. Would you like to get out a game that is a little a little more difficult than Yahtzee, but not too much harder to explain? Uh, it's a good bit more uh, difficult okay. than Yahtzee. But yeah. you can wrap your mind around it. It's still, yeah. it's still gateway level enough that you can wrap your mind around it. Mm. Come on, back me up here. Back me up here. I might not. I would disagree so, with you too. But okay, okay, I'm going on with. <laughs> so I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep plowing ahead. <laughs> okay, so a relatively easy. Okay, a, a game that a, a non gamer can wrap their mind around with some explanation, mm-hmm. but that gives you all the thrill of here. Here are like the little tickles I get. Mm-hmm. I guess a lot of gamers say what scratch the itch, right? So in Smash Up, when I get like. Five card combos going boom, 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 boom. Right. Okay. If you like like card games, fighting card games that give you combos, you're gonna love it when you mark off the green twenty one spot, which lets you mark off the blue eight spot, which completes the row for you there. So then you mark off the yellow five spot, which completed your top row, which then lets you mark off the blue spot. To get your fox score on the on the uh, on, right. on, on the on the I mean that, that's just so satisfying when yeah. one dice yeah. triggered all that activity. Yes. If you're into Euro games where you get to convert a thing into another thing into another thing and score points, that's also that same kind of 
feeling, that really satisfying sort of feeling that, and it also almost has kind of a worker placement feel to it when you sort of like, you use that dice to mark off a thing, but that thing is building kind of, I wouldn't say an engine, but it's kind of like a light engine because because you do sort of build the 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 chain engine of being able yeah. to mark one thing off for another thing. It kind of thing. has that feel in Russian railroads where you start out scoring two, three points here and there, and by the end you're you know rolling 46, 47 points with one play. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it does have that feel to it. Right. I would disagree that it's necessarily the most accessible game. It's accessible. You're right. But in terms of the teach and how many rules have to be front-loaded before you can get playing, this is definitely in the Kennerspiel for a reason. And it's one of the lightest Kennerspiel nominees that they've ever done. Mm -hmm. I know people are up in arms about that, but I get what they're coming from. You know, is your average family going to pick this up and say, yeah, this... This looks doable. No, this looks like a spreadsheet. This looks like work. This looks terrible. <laughs> it doesn't look like a spreadsheet. Oh, no, it's got, it's it is a literal man. spreadsheet. It's a colorful spreadsheet. It's so, really cool colors, really little, little cute little foxes. When I and... first saw the score sheet, I said, this looks overwhelming and not fun at all. And oh. and I'm a, you know, I've, I try heavy games, but this does not look fun, you know, compared to something like Rolling America or On Tour or any of these other Rolling Rights that look amazing, you know. Mm. Maybe the mechanics are different, but, you know, this just front loads a lot of information at you. So I see why people go a little glassy eyed at first. And eh, I'm not sure what they could have done here. I still like the game. The mechanics are fun. And once you've done it, it's easy to pick up. But that initial sell is really tricky. You know, hey, uh, would you like to play a, a German game with with this spreadsheet and and a confusing name. I, but that's not <laughs> what this game feels like at all. And once you explain it to people, I, look, I played this with a person who's not like into super complicated games, mm-hmm. and uh, this person was able to kind of pick up on it fairly quickly and right. got the thrill of the, the no, you, not you're, far into it. At you're all. right that the game itself is not hard to get into. But what I'm saying is a gateway game, a true gateway game needs to nail the presentation just as much as it needs to nail the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Because there's that initial sell when you show someone the box and they immediately think, oh, that looks fun, or oh, that doesn't look fun. And I think this game flops in that regard. I think that's why it didn't make the spiel. I think there's a little disconnect between how fun it plays and how difficult it looks at first glance. It, mm. it deserves to be noted, though, that today was my first play and we almost got my wife to play it. Now That's she true. she does not she's not into games, but she, I think she saw the colors and she was she was on the way. She had just heard all the rules and was about to roll first, but then Starbucks. Went to Starbucks. Her, so. Yeah, <laughs> the, the girls were all going out for Starbucks, but I think she would have played it. Yeah, now, I think she would have enjoyed it. I think it's. I think you're right in that it may be overwhelming at first, but once you start playing mm-hmm. it, you realize it is accessible accessible but what i think one of the things that makes this game tough is that um on your turn you're you're rolling dice and mm. what the outcome is determines what strategy you'll go for how how you proceed and so you could get a mediocre dice roll which is probably the worst dice roll to get because if you get a bad one you can choose to re-roll it if you get a good one you'll know what you want to keep but a mediocre one as you sit in there for a good minute or two, just thinking like, what if I did this? 
Yeah, I hate to bring this that. up. You were APing this game, man, more than more than any of the players I've played with it. You, you really? were taking a while to make your choices. Well, and I'm that's let, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, but it does have that element to it. I, I did notice that as a, uh, I mean, people Side prone effect, to AP yeah. are going to yeah. kind of take their time on this. Game. I, mm-hmm. I just think there's something to the fact that you're comparing this to Feld, for example, or you know, like a Castles of Burgundy. I think there's mm-hmm. something to the fact that you're comparing it to that and not to, say, I don't know, Deep Sea Adventure or No Thanks or the filler gateway games that I use. Right. I think there's more meat to this, and that's a good thing. That's yeah. good. If you're comparing it to Quicks, you know, is dead simple but also dead boring. It's almost a rolling white Euro. <laughs> it is. It's the closest thing I've played yeah. yet to a rolling huh. white Euro game. Huh. I think the fact that you score so highly, like I had 220 points on my first yeah. playthrough, uh-huh. shows Which is a, a very good score game. for your first playthrough, by the way. Yeah, that's amazing. You did very well. AP gets me somewhere, I guess. It does. <laughs> and you were also looking at our boards trying to figure out how to deny us as well, right. which mm-hmm. is really, you know, smart yeah. to do. But Yeah. Um, no, I've definitely appreciated this game. I've played it a ton. If you want to check this game out, the easiest way to do it right now, Schmidt Spiel has the solo version on their website as a web app. So you right. can go play it solo right now. I don't know if that's your jam, but it takes 10 minutes. If you want to learn the game, that's entirely possible on Schmitzbeel. So I would I would recommend that almost, even try before you buy. I It did not take me that long to learn the rules and get into the app. And, and then I printed off the score sheets, pl- uh, played it in person while I wait for my copy to ship from Amazon DE. Right. I'm Amazon DE shipped. You got to say this. How much was that? Oh man, I think it was fifteen bucks shipped. Come on, this game is worth it. This game is so worth it. And when it hits the states, I'm sure it'll be around. It, that it price will be hitting cheaper. the states. Yeah, but even shipped fifteen bucks from Amazon.de. Yeah. Look, if you know, I I know there are people printing and playing this right now. The mm-hmm. the scorecards are pretty. Uh, the publisher has made them available. Yeah, that really surprises me on on the one hand, but uh, I, I guess there it's probably a good business decision. Get the yeah. word out. I bought, I bought the game after trying it. Yeah. And yeah. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have even tried it if it hadn't been available. So. I want it just for the correctly colored dice and the little tray that <laughs> there comes you go. with it. Yeah, it looks yeah. really cool. So yeah. um Yeah, again, you know what? For what this is, I, I'm I'm gonna give it my full recommendation. I, I just think this game uh, I I have a few uh, so you heard my accessibility knock, or I guess mm-hmm. present presentation knock. My other knock against it would be if you want to couch it as that sort of game, it only plays one to four. And that's a bummer. For an accessible game that I would want to bring out, I would like to see five players, maybe even six. Uh, the uh, game goes up to six players. What? It does. Yeah. There's a sheet, man. No, that's rounds. That one is rounds. rounds. Oh, you're right. Hold it on. only plays one to four. Whoa, it does only Yeah, play so one it only plays one to four, which is kind of a bummer because, you know, if I want to introduce some people to gaming, I can say, hey, let's play Sushi Go Party. I know I can accommodate up to eight. Or I say, hey, let's play Dixit. I know we can play up to 12. I really value games that are flexible in play count. And even um, five, even five is very useful. Four is just quite small. And that's I'm a, not sure. You know what? I, I think this game would really suffer if you put more than four players on it. I agree. I think they should have made changes to, accom- to accommodate that, though. I think that would have been valuable. Because... I just, here's the truth. Here's the truth. For as fun as this game is, for as accessible as it's going to be, the fact that it's four-player only 
means I'm not going to be able to bring it out to a lot of casual gamers because most of the time we have more than that. Look, a a three-player game of this took us like an hour today. If I play this with six players and it took me two hours, it would not be worth it to me. That's that's exactly the thing. That's exactly why it's nominated for Kennerspiel and not Spiel des Jahres. This is Mm -hmm. not a gateway accessible game. This is meaty. And maybe I would have even liked to see it a little bit more accessible because it is so satisfying, but I think that's going to be a barrier to some people. And that's a bummer. That's my one caveat against it. I still recommend the game. I still like it. I'm still ordering it. It's still going to have a place in my collection, but it's not perfect. I, just, I would have liked to see that. I but, think it could have been a little more But you're asking the game polished. to be way too much. I mean, it, it, it's, I think its target market is, is to the kind of people who are ready for like a light Euro game, hmm. but are used to kind of an easier mechanic, like hmm. a roll and write. I, I, and, well, and I, don't know, I, guess, I guess I just really appreciate it when there's a game that I can pull out, get non-gamers to play, mm-hmm. and still enjoy it myself. And this this just so falls into that category. And not only that, but introduces non-gamers to some of these really cool mechanics that just that, that will that they'll recognize in other games and will make yeah. them enjoy other uh, games. I agree, but I, I think you're also asking more of those non-gamers than you may realize. That's all I would say. I think this game's more of a stretch for most people than than you might be admitting. It sounds to me like you really like the game, but have a completely different vision for for it than the designers do. This That's this probable. can be played solo. I don't think yeah. I don't think I know of a single game that can be played solo or eight players. Right. I'm not asking for eight. <laughs> Andrew, honestly, I would have loved to see five. For those of you who know my tastes, you can appreciate the weirdness of this statement. I've played this game solo. <laughs> there you go. Sitting here with the dice and the page, I have played this game solo. There you and go. Did you win? I won. <laughs> <laughs> Top of his class. <laughs> well, yeah. We have taken a lot of your time, but we'll just wrap up to say, though we might be a little bit mixed on Gans Shown Clever, Get On Board still recommends this game by Wolfgang Warsch, Schmidt Spiel. It's a good game. It's a fun little pinball of a roll and write. It's quite enjoyable. You should pick it up. It's not yet available in the U.S., but as we mentioned, it can be purchased on Amazon DE. It can be tried online at the publisher's website, or you can even print off the score sheets from mm-hmm. Board Game Geek and kind of roll your own. But we still encourage you to pick it up. It's a, it's really cheap, so yep. that Rules should not a be a barrier. Dicey. I would highly recommend you check out the Board Game Geek forums where people who know German... Yeah, reading the rule book in German and correctly right. translating the rule. And books. of course, that won't be an issue when it publishes in the U.S., which I'm sure it will. Or the app. That's true. The app enforces the rules correctly, too. Mm-hmm. So yes. if you have any question, that's that's very useful as well. So thanks for listening to another edition of Get On Board. We always value your comments, so please get in touch with us. You'll find us out on Board Game Geek. I'm under Board Game Greek, and Andrew's under AAJ94. That's right. Send us some mail there or on our website, and you may even hear us do the mail song. Oh, boy. May it never come to pass. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Google Play Music, Stitcher, wherever you get good podcasts. We should be there, or it's not a very good place to get podcasts. And as always, we remind you, get your friends together and play some games and have a great time. I'm Andrew. I'm Tim. And this was Stephen.
Bye.